Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Coronavirus Update. If you're in lockdown, just like me, don't worry. I've put together some of the best bits from my talk radio breakfast show into this daily podcast, so you won't miss any of the day's biggest coronavirus updates. Enjoy and stay safe. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Uh, First of all, can we start on a positive note? Uh, This prospect of a vaccine and human trial starting tomorrow at Oxford University and a team led by Sarah Gilbert looking into a vaccine. Those human trials, normally you'd be looking at five years of work before you get to that point. She says she's condensed it down to four months. How hopeful are you? Well, I'm extremely hopeful because we desperately need a vaccine. And in the end, the vaccine is what gets us through this. So we've all got our fingers crossed. We're all willing them on. Um, there is remarkable world-leading research going on in our in our life sciences and uh, and our, our pharmaceutical base in this country. So we can be extremely proud of that. Um, let's see where it gets to. Uh, I know we'll all have our fingers crossed. But if a vaccine can be developed quickly, uh, that really is the uh, that really does look it does change things. So um, we're all looking forward to hear, hear about progress. Okay, well, I think it comes especially at news that we needed to boost our spirits after we looked at the news figures from the Office for National Statistics yesterday, which suggested that certainly looking at figures for England and Wales only, and these, of course, go back to the 10th of April uh, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, we had one of the highest death tolls for that week ever. Uh, and looks like it's 8,000 more, so roughly 40% more than it would normally be. Not all of those accounted for by the official death toll from coronavirus. What do you think is going on? I think, well, we've always known that care homes and nursing homes would be particularly vulnerable. And I think what we're seeing now is the virus spreading through through our care homes. Uh, and my worry is that whereas we've had a very good plan to uh, scale up critical care capacity in the NHS and uh, restructure the NHS, and I've got nothing but praise for the NHS leadership and what they've done, I'm not convinced we've had the same level of, detail, of a detailed plan for our social care sector. So what I'm proposing to the government is that they use some of the same mechanisms they've used in the NHS to get the PPE to care staff, that they uh, that they test care staff by sending them mobile testing units, but also if they've got residents who they think are coming down with COVID, they should be moved now into some of these empty beds that are in the NHS, because it's actually, because the NHS have been, have been done such, been, uh, have been so detailed in, in freeing up space, they've actually now got lots of empty beds which could be used, so... Uh, unless something like that happens, I'm very worried about where what happens next in our care homes. Well, indeed. I mean, again, a lot of us will have elderly relatives, as I do have, in care homes where they had a, a positive COVID-19 test uh, and those people are still in the care homes. 
Well, exactly, and I think you have to move residents out because it's, it stands to reason how that the, that the COVID will spread quickly around a care home. And the figures that we saw come out yesterday about deaths in care homes were heartbreaking. I mean, so many families will just be sort of shattered across the country knowing that their loved one, their loved one elderly relative died from COVID-19. But of course, there's a time lag in those figures. Those figures are from 10 days ago. So we don't actually have daily figures for care homes. I'm very worried that when the next set of figures come out, we'll see okay. even more deaths. Well, talking about, I mean, testing, that's absolutely crucial. We don't know if someone's died of or with coronavirus or if they're at risk to other people unless we do have that testing. Uh, the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, uh, was uh, at the uh, Downing Street briefing yesterday uh, and uh, he revealed that we're now seeing uh, testing capacity, keyword there, capacity, at now 39,000. But on Monday, the latest day, we've got figures for only 19,000 people getting tested. Uh, since emerged, Helen Waitley, the Health Minister this morning, has said uh, that actually some of the tests that were carried out on particular NHS staff early on in the early weeks uh, are, are now thought to have been faulty uh, and therefore they people have been written to and uh, asked to come and retake another test they may have had a false negative or a false positive both of those of course are a big risk um what do you think's gone wrong with testing and more importantly trying to be constructive what can we do about it now well i think part of the problem is that early on we tried to centralize testing through Public Health England, that's the organisation that is responsible for testing, but rather than try and use all the labs across the country in both hospitals and in research institutions and indeed in, in our pharmaceutical uh, uh, industry. And I, that is actually something um, that we were calling for early on in this. Uh, I think that really has to be done more now. There's a, it's beginning to happen, but we really need to speed that process up. But it is worrying that we've heard that some of our testing was faulty. This emerged because a document was leaked, I think, yesterday, highlighting this. Uh, so I think I hope we can get some clarity from ministers today on how many people have had this faulty test and what the plan is now, because there'll be lots of people who will be extremely concerned that perhaps they were told they were um, uh, COVID uh, negative and then went back into the NHS to work. That's quite serious. So we need to know all the details. OK, let's also talk about PPE. Now, we know finally this uh, plane load of uh, items, I'm told including 400,000 clinical gowns, which would be vital, has arrived at RAF Bryce Norton from Turkey this morning. Um, seems to have been quite a lot of uh, messing up uh, by, by officials there. They ordered equipment, didn't check it could be exported. Turkey, like most countries, has restricted exports of vital equipment. Uh, we in this country, bizarrely, haven't restricted exports. We're hearing again and again stories of companies that say, we've got these goods in stock. We've got, you know, warehouse is full of the stuff that we've brought in we've offered it to the government the government haven't even bothered replying to us and now we're going to export it um this is obviously a very grave concern to to everybody listening right now but also particularly of concern uh, to those medics who are putting their lives on the line uh, working in nhs hospitals and in care homes without the proper kit yeah i mean this is so so frustrating and so many firms get in touch with me emailing me saying they try to offer the government a, um, PPE kit which they can supply either they can manufacture it themselves or they work in procurement and they can get hold of it they've offered it to the government and they've heard nothing back I in turn have sent off off these um, uh, emails to the government and again have heard nothing nothing back and this is a bit which a lot of people just don't understand is that you've got firms out there, British firms who want to get their production lines up and running who want to help out in this national crisis and we should be mobilising them all we keep raising this with the government uh, uh, and the government ministers keep saying what they say at the press conferences, as you know, but 
at the same time, we then also hear that NHS staff on the front line don't have enough care. So, yeah. But do you have any sympathy, though? The government, I mean, Matt Hancock said, look, they've got more than 8,000 offers. I mean, you know, that's a lot of offers to work through. Some are bogus companies that are just set up the day before, and they don't know which ones are real, which ones aren't, and they're having to work their way through. Do you have any sympathy that actually this has turned into something of a bureaucratic nightmare? Oh, I can see it's a huge project. But they, but you know, there's thousands of civil servants who could be switched over to this. Um, you know, there's lots of civil servants working on other issues in departments. And of course, you know, the country has to continue running, but they must be able to mobilise some civil servants to chase up all these different, uh, all these different messages. Okay, well, let's talk about civil servants in particular. The permanent secretary of the Foreign Office, Sir Simon uh, MacDonald, uh, the most senior uh, manager in in the Foreign Office, Dominic Rubb's department. Yesterday, he told a select committee that the UK didn't take part in an EU-wide scheme, including actually lots of EA countries as well, uh, to uh, basically bulk buy ventilators and all the PPE they need. Uh, He said it was because it was a political decision. Those were his words. Now, previously, we've been told, look, actually, the government had missed some emails uh, and there was a bit of a problem, a bureaucratic uh, uh, mess up. Uh, yesterday, Matt Hancock was asked about this, and he said, "No, emails had been missed. Uh, the government had now signed up to this scheme. Um, uh, I mean, it was not a political decision." Later on, the permanent secretary wrote to the committee saying he'd been mistaken. Inadvertently, he'd got his information wrong. Information hadn't been passed on uh, from Brussels uh, to ministers. Uh, but of course, the crucial fact here is, um, and this people obsessed with this scheme seem to almost entirely be those who wanted us not to leave the EU at all. A, we are not in the EU anymore, and B. Not a single item of this bulk buy organised by the EU scheme has actually turned up on the front line in any country whatsoever. In which case, why is there such a big row over this? Because I think uh, it's just confusing, isn't it? The government seems to have changed their line every time they're asked about it. Uh, you know, first it, they've missed a few emails, then it's they didn't want to be in it, uh, then they did want they did want to be in it. But I, I just take a pragmatic approach. We should be using every avenue try and get this uh, to get the get the equipment that we need to get the ppe that we need if there was an opportunity we should have been part of it um you know go, we're now apparently are going to be part of it but you know again it's one of these but it that, hasn't delivered it, it hasn't delivered any actual ppe i mean it, this is this amazing scheme because of course the eu can bulk buy and they've got all this bullet you know buying power and not a single item has been delivered to a single country as a result of this scheme and bulk buying. Doesn't that tell us that actually the original, whether it was a decision or not, but the, the original, even the failing to sign up, actually wasn't necessarily a bad decision? Well, presumably the scheme will eventually <laughs> will eventually deliver. And my view is if, when you've got so many shortages, you should be using every, you know, every, every possible, taking advantage of every opportunity you're presented with. I mean, I don't come at this because of the sort of pro-EU or anti-EU sort of... Um, approach i think that debate's been you know is done and dusted i just think that when you're presented with opportunities you just take advantage of them okay and in terms of anything that you're going to be wanting from the government in the coming days the answers that you want the the actions that you want that you think should be prioritized what are they i think i think we need to understand where we're going on testing and how we're going to scale up testing and also what now is the plan for getting getting ppe whether it's from you know the european uh, the german sources or other sources to the front line and how we're going to support those in care homes and nursing homes. Okay, thank you very much indeed for joining us, Labour MP. Shadow Health Secretary, of course, Jonathan Ashworth. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. 
That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Talk Radio. Talk Radio Breakfast with Julia Hartley-Brewer. And the Times. Know your times. Later on today, at midday, we're going to have Prime Minister's questions. Of course, the Prime Minister is still recuperating at Chequers after his uh, brush with coronavirus. So he's uh, going to be uh, seeing his deputy, uh, Dominic Raab, the Foreign Secretary, standing in for him. And, of course, it's the very first time that we're going to see at the dispatch box as leader of Her Majesty's Opposition, Sir Keir Starmer. Well, they're going to be in the chamber. Only a handful of other MPs will be there. Everyone else will be on Zoom. It's going to be very bizarre. And the person overseeing all those proceedings will, be, of course, be the common speaker, Sir Lindsay Hoyle. I'm delighted to say Sir Lindsay joins us now. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Julia. Uh, we are in very, very, very strange times, are we not, where we're seeing uh, these uh, these proceedings happen virtually. How important do you think it was, as common speaker, that, that the Commons did return after the Easter break, even if it's mostly on Zoom, it's mostly done virtually? I, I think it's so important, in fairness, uh, the electorate to let the members of parliament to hold the government to account. And in the end, it's only been the press that's been holding the government to account. And the time is right that members of parliament hold the government. And today is no better day than having prime minister's questions. We make history with the Welsh questions first, the first virtual questions coming about Wales. And then we follow into the big event of the day, which will be prime minister's questions. And it's interesting, isn't it? We've got both sides of the chamber, both new to the jobs at the dispatch box, and I'll be overseeing or overturning 700 years of history. So it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be quite an interesting day. I've got to say, fingers crossed, I'm just hoping everything goes well. I've got to say. Like, <laughs> yes, given, given as we know, the major refurbishments that were going to be due, due to be taking place in the House of Commons, a lot, a lot of that down to some terrible, lot of very, very ancient wiring. Let's fingers crossed, <laughs> keep fingers crossed until we are going to actually see it all carry on working. Um, but this is, it is 700 years of history, as you say, being overturned. Do you think it's going to make a big difference? Though? To a certain extent, when people are having to speak in from home and, uh, for a, a question like that, as opposed to sort of standing up and grandstanding, and we know that MPs do do that from the back benches, <laughs> is there an element where we might get a more serious line of questioning and a bit more detailed scrutiny because people aren't sort of there with all the baying and the jeering? And you and I know that in the House of Commons chamber, most of the time, actually, it's, it's much calmer debate and much more measured debate. It's only at PMQs when it's all yar boo and shouting and jeering. Do you think that actually we might get a better quality of debate like this? 
what, what I think is that we'll certainly have the dedicated questions. People will be sat there. My worry is people have got really ready to ask the question, and I'm just hoping that it just doesn't go down. That's the danger, isn't it? Suddenly we get a freeze or the line goes down. I'm really panicking that something like that may go wrong. What I would say is it, it will be good to see, and people will judge it as it goes along. This is the starting point where we've got people who have put into the bid for a vote. We've done the lottery system. We've drawn out their names. They're all ready. We're ready to go here. It's just what can go wrong. The one thing is, Julia, Julia this is the beginning, not the end of the process. So we're yes. going to start off with questions. Then we're going to have a statement. And then hopefully next week we'll start to look at bringing legislation forward. And at some point further down the line, there will be votes. And to have virtual votes as well will be pretty unique. As you know, you've seen them trying to get into the lobbies. We only give them eight minutes to vote. People are running up the steps. You know, So, so is it completely changing the atmosphere, changing the way the House has worked? What I would say is it is a temporary measure. Uh, my real view is I'm desperate to get the House back to normal. I, I think normality is where I certainly want to be for the future, but it's how long it will take. What we've yeah, got to indeed. do is look after the staff, look after members' welfare. And the other big issue, I cannot thank the staff enough. The digital, the broadcasting staff have absolutely been working 24 hours round the clock to change the way the House of Commons worked. I can't thank them enough. They've really been the stars of the show. Yeah, indeed. People often forget it's, it's actually the backroom staff who do a lot of the work and the unsung heroes. But you talk about you know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, they want an opportunity for virtual voting, people to be able to vote from home uh, and or vote from their offices. And, and that would be part of the modernisation, the 21st century workings of the House of Commons. You're making it very clear that, no, you want people to be in the chamber voting in the actual voting lobbies. You want it to go back to the, the normal rules. Why is that so important to you? I think it's so important that, in fairness to the electorate, they elect their MPs to be in London. They elect them to be in the House of Commons. And as you say, it is about the meeting members. It's about sharing ideas. And the things that we can't do at the moment, such as points of order, all those things that we take for granted will not happen. So therefore, what we've got to really do is, is, be, is begin to say, look, these are the things we've missed. And people say, actually, I want to get back to that. You know, Prime Minister's question time. They watch around the world. We know there's a lot of hustle and bustle in there. You know, the Yabu politics does come out. But it is for 30 minutes a week. But the world looks to it. The world enjoys Prime Minister's question time. I think it absolutely it'll be completely different for question time. People are saying, why can't we get back to it? I think it's so important to have the House of Commons working. That's where we're elected to serve. And that's where we should be. OK, well, thank you very much. Just one final question, though. There are a number of MPs who are going to be in the chamber. You've got big signs you know, showing them where they can and can't sit. They're maintaining that uh, two-metre social distancing. I have to say, last time they were in the chamber, a lot of them apparently couldn't measure two metres, it would appear. But given that the government advice is, if you can work from home, you should work from home, is there an argument that there shouldn't be any backbench MPs in the chamber? What, what I would say is that, first of all, I deliberately and quite rightly asked Public Health England to come in. I wanted them to oversee it. They have looked at everything and said, no, this works. What we are saying is we shouldn't be using the voting lobbies. Absolutely not, because I think that's where the danger is. They're quite happy with the chamber. And yesterday was a good response from MPs. I'm quite clear in saying, look, please stay away from here. I don't want you to put pressure on staff. I want you to really look after them. But as you, as you know as well as I do, you've been around this place a long time. MPs have the rights. For 700 years, they've had the rights to come into the House of Commons. I can't take that right away. All I can do is appeal 
to them and say, please stay home. And as yesterday, we only had 21 people in the chamber. I'd like to think that gets even lower and lower until it's virtually just myself, maybe the opposition minister and the Secretary of State actually doing business and the clerk in the House. And of course, Helen, who is the Speaker's Secretary, two metres away from me. Those are the people we only yep. need in the chamber. And I think if we can get to that, I think we'll be showing the right light. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right now, let's talk about something completely different. And this is this uh, absolutely wonderful bid uh, by NHS staff uh, set up at uh, Guy's and St. Thomas's uh, hospitals in, Hospital in London. Of course, that's where uh, Boris Johnson was treated. Uh, and they have uh, set up a uh, the NHS choir and they have recorded a version of Mariah Carey's Anytime You Need a Friend. Let's have a little listen to their recording. We can all agree that is really rather good. The recording's been tweeted by Mariah Carey herself, saying she said it brought her to tears. And now they're making a bid to get to get to the top of the charts. Well, let's talk to Fanula Donovan. She's a neurophysiotherapist from Guys at the Thomas Hospital and a member of the choir. Good morning, Chief Fanula. Good morning. Seriously, that sounds really good. That sounds, you know, like properly. Uh, I mean, for start, it gave me goose pimples when I goosebumps when I listened to it. Uh, it really is very, uh, very beautiful. But but it's seriously good quality. Who did you record it with, and who got the idea? Thank you. Um, we actually all recorded it just on our mobile phone devices. Um, no, this has been done. Yeah. This has been done when you're all in isolation. All in isolation. So us all doing it really from our own homes. Um, and then sending it through to Mike King, who's our choir director, and then him and his team have put it all together and made it sound fantastic. I mean, you, that is an extraordinary feat. And how many singers have you got in the choir? So in our trust choir, um, we've got about 30 singers, um, but I think in the whole track, we've got over 100 from all around the world that have got involved. Absolutely incredible. Now, how, when did you set up the choir? Is this a new thing or have you been doing this for a long time? So the choir was set up from the support of Breathe Health Arts Research in about 2017. I joined it actually in about 2018. So we've been going for quite a while now. Um, and then it's just continued on and got more and more members coming through, which is amazing. Wonderful. Now, this is all about making money for, you know, frontline charities uh, to, to, you know, who are being hardest hit by the, the crisis and the pandemic. Tell us about some of those charities that you're trying to help by raising money from selling uh, this uh, music. So we, we've got two charities. We've got Breathe Health Arts Research, who are a phenomenal charity that, as I say, help to, um, to fund the choir and other NHS initiatives. So they have uh, people coming in to help people with Parkinson's, um, elderly people that perhaps have problems with their balance of falling. They have an amazing magic um, class that they run for, for children, and they've tried it with some adults as well. So they are supporting us all year round. It's not just a kind of a one-off while we're in this pandemic. Um, and then we've also got My Cool King Foundation, which can just support people through the power of music, which is run by our amazing choir director, Mike King. 
So they're really, really good charities. And as you say, much smaller than the kind of the more known bigger ones. So it's really important that we can continue to support them at the moment. Yeah, did yeah. Mike King's worked with Mark Ronson, Florence and the Machine and Boy George. So he knows he knows a, a few he good singers in, in his time. I mean, just as, I mean, as someone who's you know working you know on the front line, along with many of your colleagues working on the front line. Um, I mean, I think we all know this is an emotional time for a lot of us. Um, and, um, and, and, and I think music actually is a real comfort to an awful lot of people. And we're turning to music to express our emotions. But but tell us tell us sort of what what it's been like on the front line for you and your colleagues in, in in recent days and 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 how you're all coping. I think I mean it's definitely a time of change and of course I think probably for everyone in the whole kind of country and world it's it's different it's stressful but having the quiet to look forward to having music that we're listening to just really really helps you to remember you're not alone it certainly makes us feel much happier it's really uplifting and I know the feedback from all my staff team that I work with who have listened to the song have just said that it's just been amazing and it's really really helped to make them feel happier so it's really really good thing to get absolutely genuinely um, I, I don't blow smoke up people's bottoms ever on this show I'm very very <laughs> honest about it I, I think it sounds absolutely wonderful and I know yours is the very first voice we do here on the track so tell me where can people get this how, and and, uh, and how can they go about buying it and making sure that money goes to those worthwhile charities so it is available on Amazon and iTunes and other other kind of music um, resources it's only 99p so please get out there it's available to buy now so please please do support us and help us out and remind us what it's called and, 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 uh, and who, your, the name of your charity, just the name of your, your choir, just so people have got all the information. So it's called Anytime You Need a Friend and it's Breathe Harmony and it just um, trusts choir. Wonderful. Brilliant stuff. And thank you very much indeed. That's uh, Fanula Donovan, uh, who is a neurophysiotherapist from Guy St. Thomas's Hospital and a member of that Breathe Harmony Choir. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to today's Julia Hartley Brewer coronavirus update. Please don't forget to like, comment, and most importantly, subscribe. And you can catch me live on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 till 10.